Welcome to Radio Free Murktown, a podcast focusing on and funded by the gaming community at ExplorersUnlimited.com. More than just another play-by-post website, Explorers Unlimited is one of the world's largest online communities of Palladium Books fans who are taking part in a single epic storyline in each dimension, within which all player characters can interact. Explorers Unlimited, where the only thing missing from the greatest adventures ever imagined is you. And now here's the host of Radio Free Murktown, Lloyd Ritchie. Okay, we're live. Welcome to our Ask Me Anything, hopefully uh, hosted by SavageRifts.com. It's great to have with us Robin and Sean, uh, lead designers for uh, Arcana and Mysticism for Savage Rifts, which we've been sinking our teeth into for the past week and a half or so. Uh, guys, thanks for coming. Hello. So already I've noticed you guys have this cute habit of doing things in unison. That's awesome. Uh, my wife and I are not literally so cutesy, so uh, now I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, it's, we've got all the same hobbies, so it, we spend and we and no children, so we spend times and tons of time together. Yeah, so you know. <laughs> twenty-one years of this, yeah, yeah, you sync up. Mm-hmm. Well, good to know. I'll uh, I'll hold out for that then. Hey guys, welcome back. Okay, Hi. Yes, right. I don't know what yeah. happened there. That was really weird. Well, it could be us, you know, or, or some bad internet connections. Uh, these things are never perfect. Thank you for your patience. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We're just greeting everybody from all over the country uh, watching. So that was good. Oh, hey, were you guys at Gen Con? No. No, we were not. We were at non-Gen Con in Denver, where we were hanging out with Ross Watson and Sean Patrick Van and a bunch of other awesome people who have contributed to this project, yep. but not in an official capacity. Yeah, for the hanging out, just vacationing with friends. Oh, man, that sounds awesome. I bet you gamed a little. Oh, Hello. yeah. <laughs> Three separate games over... Uh, two days, really. Yeah, yeah, over a two-day period, yeah. Wow. It's a time to go hiking in proper rifts country. And then also hang out with other people connected to the industry. Yes, it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Great. That's fantastic. I love Denver. It's a good city. Yeah. It was a nice break from 100 plus degree weather. <laughs> I've only ever been there in the winter, so uh, I'm sure it's nice in the summer. Oh, it's lovely right now. Absolutely. Good. All right. So uh, we're back and uh, let's just jump right in. We have uh, uh, questions and things that are happening. Oh, everyone loves the ChupacabraCon shirts. So yep. matching Sorry. shirts. That's always nice. Chupa. <laughs> Bunch yeah. of us will be there in May in 2019. Mm-hmm. 20, 2020. 20, 2020. Wow, you guys can time travel too. You're right <laughs> into this riffs thing. That's good. All right, so uh, we had some things maybe that we talked about uh, just briefly yesterday, Sean, that we could start with. And the one thing that intrigues me is you guys are savages first, right? And then you, you became into the riffs project. So what was it like trying to get your head around riffs and the whole thing that that is with all the world books and all the content and years of history uh, and even mechanics and and then kind of from a savage perspective how did you get your head around that uh, what was it like trying to work with that and, and how did you organize yourself uh yeah i can answer part of it first okay you answer your so as for the world you know getting into the world was a lot easier one we've you know longtime fans of D and of course um what was it which I've lost my anyway. <laughs> but longhand fans of DDs and all knowing all those different settings and worlds, that was really easy. But uh, as savages, we also do a lot on our own. We kind of mix settings and play with settings all the time. So it was just being able 
keeping that in mind, diving in with that in mind worked best. I am a huge Forgotten Realms fan. Yeah. From the 90s and the period where they putting up splat books for different sections of the realms all the time. You had your Arabian Nights section, you had your Arctic section, you had your uh, Greek section, your Celtic section, things like that. So it's really not that big a difference. It's just a matter of research, and we were both English majors. So research <laughs> is something that we just enjoy, period. We like learning new things and diving in, and it was fun. Oh, good. So you liked getting all that content, because there's a lot of content. There is a lot of content. And sometimes sometimes it was hard to track all the different threads, but most of the time uh, it was an adventure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Any parts in the in the kind of the megaverse that were you know oh you really like that one? Oh no, um, hmm. dinosaur swamp. <laughs> <laughs> That's turned out to be the most fun. Right? Dinosaur swamp was dinosaur swamp is in blood and veins, not arcane mysticism. But uh, uh, dinosaur swamp was fun and well, we really got into the magic zone. Yeah, because uh, even before we took over on the project, we both did write the Magic Zone section originally. Yes, Magic Zone is cool. We had done a lot of research on South America because at the time that Shane brought us on, Robertson and we thought that we would be moving on to the next section of things because the book seemed to be kind of wrapped up. Um, and so we thought, oh, hey, we'll do South America next. Let's start putting together a pitch for that. So we dug deep on that and cat people. Yeah. Cat people do. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but then we wound up going back and adding more to the books that existed, the books yes. that were already well in development. And I think that's created a real great opportunity to make things both more savage and more ritzy. Yeah. 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 These books seem to have like a, a I don't know what the word is, but a, a kind of an interesting development arc, right? I mean, first of all, mm -hmm. uh, you guys started out with just the magic zone, then you do more, but then also in the middle of all this, you go from working in deluxe to working with uh, adventure edition <laughs> uh, and you know 5.4 versions of adventure edition all in a <laughs> short order of time how yeah. did that you know that development life cycle how did that get impacted by the new edition by the uh, then the late coming of different staff and people you know what was that trajectory like well with the new edition we it was more complicated for us than it seems because we got even earlier versions kept getting them and you know sometimes there wouldn't be that much change but it would be enough that we were like ah okay gotta go back after a while we said you know what we're just gonna wait we're gonna let shane finish it and then we'll go back and adjust as necessary yes so basically most everything was written it's just that once wade was done we went in and had to adjust all the stats but because by that point we'd seen enough of suede that we knew what we kind of had to do so it was kind of pre-done yeah but there was definitely a point where we had to say, we'll stop trying to keep up and we'll just wait till the end. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And Good. as for the staff, the staff was, you know, at the beginning, um, we were just one of, uh, we wrote a lot for <clears throat> our canon mysticism before uh, things happened that put Sean and I and, and Sean Robertson in charge. Uh, at that point, it was really a lot of times just the three of us with Shane uh, and Jody and then Simon Lucas mm -hmm. came in. A lot of the other stuff from the other writers had already been written. Yes. So and already been taken care of, actually. Yeah. There have been a lot of contributions for thing people like 
Bill Keys. Yay, Evil yeah, Bill Keys. And uh, uh, Jason, Jason Richards. Richards. Who did Sciescape mm -hmm. and Arcana Mysticism. Right. He told me he put a lot of content into that, and it shows up in the plot point campaign. Primarily. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So, yes, basically, one of the first instructions that we got from Shane after taking over was, I don't need to know the bartender's name. And uh, because that's not really the Savage way. Savage Worlds is more compact. It's more, I, I like to think of it as journalistic writing. It's descriptive, but it's also lean. So you get the whole picture, but without a bunch of extraneous parts to it. And Jason had done this fantastic lengthy section on Sciescape that uh, was, you know, more Palladium in style um, or even more D&D in style. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit slightly older school. It I mean, he just, had been on yeah, Riffs exactly. originally. Yeah, he had been. So a lot of um, extra detail that was great detail, but didn't fit the Savage Worlds aesthetic. So... Um, the best way I found to incorporate as much as I could of what he had written was to work it into the plot point campaign where you're going to need that detail. So a lot of it got cut from one section, placed in another section, and I think it makes for a great blend. So he was my unwitting co-collaborator on the plot point campaign for Arcane Mysticism. Great. Yeah, he's definitely a, a Rifts guy. That's where he cut his teeth. He only yeah. just recently bought the D&D box set, he said. So. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. <laughs> 45 years late or something. Uh, a lot of people are saying they want to see the cat. Is oh. the cat uh, camera shine? Yes. No. She's Anna. standing right here. <laughs> Is the nut. Say hi. Get your face up in there. There you go, cat meme right here. Live <laughs> no. Now that she's actually invisible, she's suddenly cool. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the world gets to watch you. You're nuts. Can you sell down? Okay. You're in Europe. You talked about it already, but I mean, there's a lot of lore and detail mm -hmm. in the in the Palladium stuff, and then you're trying to condense it down into a book that's really covering what might be, I don't know, eight different world books or or more. Uh, out of 40 or something that the, the Palladium yeah. has. So what was it like trying to condense lore? How did you decide what really needs to go in there? What's a key nugget? What can we kind of leave on the wayside? I'd say a big part of it was what fired our imaginations the most. Since we were coming in as kind of Rift's newbies, you know, going through and seeing the things that just struck us as having the most play value. Yeah. The bits and pieces that would give game masters and players the best opportunities to expand their campaigns. And so we'd leave out these little things. It's like, well, that wouldn't, you know, that's great and all, but it only week for one campaign. This information, someone could do, different people could do lots of stuff with it. That's what's going in the books. Yeah. So you try to focus on the things that have the most hooks attached to it, the most exactly. opportunity for adventure. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That makes sense to me. And as a, a guy who has been reading uh, Riff's books since 1990-something, <laughs> uh, I, I felt good when I was reading through the content section, like the, the major points were there and uh, 
I didn't go like, oh, they forgot about. I'm sure there's people out there who said they forgot about yeah. this little minutia or I'm that. Sure. But, yeah. but uh, I thought that it was. Everybody has their own favorite crazy thing. And unfortunately, you can't please everybody. You can try as hard as you can, but you're always going to miss something small. Right. So uh, just walk us real quickly through the through the book. I mean, it's uh, got some new iconic frameworks, some new Mars packages, and then a lot of world information. Actually, I was kind of impressed by the gazetteer with the in-character bit. Um, what made you decide to put that in there? That was me. No. Well, you wrote it, but it was my decision to do that. <laughs> of course it was your decision. That wasn't even well, in question. Well, you know, there's so much of the original books are written in character, and we're yes. like, well, we don't want to have that in the main part of the text because uh, that can be disruptive when you're trying to put stuff together for a campaign. Yeah. So coming from that point of view, so we're like, well, we have to do the gazetteer. Mm -hmm. Well, how about we try it this way? So I wrote up a, a sample, sent it out to him and, and, and Robertson, and went, you know, that's the way to go. Because mm -hmm. that's a lot more fun, a lot more inter interesting than just – because most of the gazetteers are also kind of in a voice. Yeah. So. It partially was – uh, it partially influenced by the Deadlands books, the Deadlands yeah. Reloaded books. Uh, we look to them as a great example of books that both contain a plot point campaign and provide area knowledge. So they're both, um, yeah, they're both area description books and campaigns. And even though we, by Shane's direction, didn't go nearly as deep into the plot point campaigns, they're not as complicated is what you'd get in the flood or something like that. Uh, and that was Shane's direction. Even though yeah. he did that, it still seemed like a great model. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you did write the first one. That's I wrote correct. the first one, yeah, which is, mm -hmm. was redone, was revised quite a bit to end up being in Blood and Banes. But. Yeah. Oh, so we're going to see more of those in Blood and Banes? Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, all, all three books will have, yeah. their gazetteer <laughs> will always be in voices. Yes. It just oh, brings that's... everything alive. Yeah, I think it's great, and I, I noticed the characters were from the uh, you know the pre-generated archetypes that had gone out originally, like Noble and these guys. I thought that was a nice touch. <laughs> oh yeah, I had fun writing Noble. <laughs> yeah, you said there were some fun stories about how the Gazetteer came together. Is there anything in particular that uh, stands out for you? Trying to figure out you know what voices we would use and what kind of things they would say, and so we went through a lot of crazy things going through them. Mm -hmm. Like I decided in Blood and Banes, one of the people writing the Gazetteer is going insane, but it totally makes sense because it was Madhaven. <laughs> but you know those are the kind of, we were like, well, how do I do this one? What's what's thing? And of course you have the one. With yeah, yeah. I, well, you know it's up in mm. the Splugorth colonies. Uh, Haunt, in fairy haunted lands. I just thought, oh yeah, it'd be fun to go ahead and write it in iambic pentameter. Or was it rhyming couplets? I forget. I can't remember either. Yeah. Well, the benefits, of, I've read it. the benefits of English major. <laughs> so uh, Google yeah, iambic pentameter and, and Shakespeare and bite your thumb at them while you're reading. Um, yeah. While you're reading. So uh, we talked about condensing lore, but there's also like a, a lot of classes in all these books and you're trying mm -hmm. to put these non-classes, iconic frameworks together, and Mars pack. How do you decide what's an iconic framework? What makes something iconic? And what's just a collection of skills and, and abilities? I think a lot of the times in Ritz, it's fairly obvious which ones fit into which category, because you've got things that are just like 
variations on a theme. Um, mm -hmm. uh, what was it? The, yeah, I don't know. But I'm just trying to remember. Way too remote. Yeah, I mean, like if something was really big and complicated, it was automatically an iconic framework. It couldn't be a Mars package. It couldn't be a race. It had to be an iconic framework. But again, when we found things that were, again, multiple variations of sort of the same thing, those were mm -hmm. usually Mars packages. Oh, yeah, like the Grey Seers. That's a good example there, actually, because the Grey Seers are functionally just mystics who are just slightly different. And so it makes as much sense to just turn that into an edge in this case, rather than provide it for an entire Mars package or um, iconic framework of its own. And then um, there were a lot of uh, wilderness scouts. There's a lot. There's a lot of variant wilderness scouts. So you know, you don't need a bunch of variant um, options for that. Uh, just turn them into edges for the most part too. Yeah. But for the iconic frameworks, if it's something that really breaks mold, if it's something that has powers that are exceptions to the rules rather than uh, additions to the rules, then it really works well as an iconic framework. And if it's something where you can put it together using basic powers and things like that, then it makes more sense as a Mars frame, as a Mars pack. Right. That makes a lot of sense to me, but it's uh, a unique thing. Someone in the chat said the uh, spirit warrior and the shaman were real well done. So, so good. Thanks. Um, <laughs> that was you. That was me. Yes, yes. I actually, I really, I really like those myself personally. I was always a big, big fan of the Spirit West books. Um, mm -hmm. What other ones in there did you really enjoy doing, or, or just like, hey, you know, that was that was fun to work on? Hmm. That's gonna be all you. I didn't do any of those. <sighs> Let's see. The Psy Warriors gone through a lot of variations, and there was some debate about how to handle that. Um, I tried to push them into kind of more of a Yoshia kind of sense of uh, the, um, the warriors of Wuxia movies, like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, that kind of thing, because they seem to line up with that really well in the first place. There's a, obviously uh, from you know, the existence of uh, Xanatoa and the way that things are generally described regarding the side warriors that they're meant to be kind of that mystic martial arts type. And so I pushed it a little bit more in that direction, had some fun with that. Um, did, did you add the pike to that? That's not something we normally saw in the original and the kind of sword and shield fighters, you know, or is that something that got added later? The, the pike is something that kind of was inherited and then expanded from the earliest drafts, which were not mine. And uh, there's been some return to that here too. Yeah. That's like the um, weapon manipulation edge where you can turn it into a rapier or whatever, whatever, and get the benefits of that in addition to the normal damage. That was mine. I like that one. I'm proud of it. <laughs> yeah. And some of the earlier stuff, uh, it basically Sean and Sean Patrick Fannin did all the iconic frameworks and all the Mars packages. And I mm -hmm. think Robertson did a few of the yeah. races. And yeah, and there's been a lot of reworking of things because of the Tomorrow Legion Guide 2.0 or whatever you want to call it. The revised version of that, since that's changed some of the, uh, well, there's so much changed the core mechanics as it's changed some of the focus of things. And so that's the, there's been some rewriting there to bring it more in line with the new vision. Yeah, it works perfectly well. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah, I, I think that that's good. I mean, some people 
Sorry, Warriors don't have pikes in the original. What's up with that? Um, but <laughs> I think we can go with that. And then, but we've got the side pikes, so might as well give it. Right. And then Robertson <laughs> told me he put the elemental fusionist in there. So any questions yeah. about yes. that, we can just ignore. Yeah, unfortunately. Well, sorry, sorry no. guys. That's totally new. That's that's post us. Yeah. <laughs> Good. You'll just you'll just have to have him on again to talk about mechanics and what you do. Well, we, oh no! <laughs> we we don't actually have a show. We just decided we wanted to talk about this. Okay. Members have so many questions, but maybe yeah. it'll be maybe it'll become a thing. And if yeah. you don't know much about future development, see some questions in the chat there about like temporal raiders and when are we going to see Atlantis? And well, that was definitely had been part of discussions leading into the next group of books. Yes. I don't know if they'll necessarily continue along that way, but the thought had certainly been to finish off um, the Western Hemisphere with the next group of books, and Atlanteans would have to be a part of that. Yeah. Then I think right now we're seeing how all this plays out, how well it works, and then um, I think Shane will make some decisions, and of course that's when we'll decide where we're going to go. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, Robertson's going to do most of the deciding. <laughs> well, if he has his way, we'll have all the books and riffs. Oh, yeah. So, mm -hmm. one thing I like about that guy is he, he's a riffs fan. That's a big, big plus. Huge, huge riffs Massive. Fan. Yes, absolutely. He's very passionate about it. I said one thing I like. I'm sure there's other things. I can't think of any right now. Sean, if you're <laughs> listening. Um, okay, so just jumping ahead, did you guys have much to do with the equipment section at all? Or is that. Um, I think the equipment section was frankly kind of already in place. There yeah, I think that's mainly there. Sean Patrick fan of it. You put in a few oh, things. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I did wind up um, deciding on like the, well, okay. Somehow Arsino had basically gotten ignore of everything. And so I did bring that back in and made sure that the Arsno magical power armors were a part of the book, because they're a really cool idea. It's such a perfectly rifts concept, is both magic and power armor at the same time. Right. So, and did, did you put that little mechanic in where it has its own spell casting ability, or did that just kind of emerge? That's more or less, honestly, borrowed from the Savage Worlds Fantasy Companion, where... Um, magical artifacts that have inherent magical powers do have their own spellcasting die as well. So that, uh, you can activate things sometimes, even if you don't necessarily have any magical powers of your, you know, if you only are like a um, Denor Devilman and you've got PowerPoints, but you don't actually have a spellcasting skill, then it can pull from your PowerPoints, sure. And, but you, then you would use the armor spellcasting skill to actually cast the power. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But not, not so much invented by me as borrowed. Right. That Denor kind of thing was common if you read, you know, the original Arsno stuff. They were all, you know, kind of magical and could operate these things. Mm -hmm. But I didn't see that as a background edge, for example. Never made the cut or just never thought of. Yeah. It's just a mainly a thing that's just part of. The different races and i mean there's nothing inherently to stop you from buying um from buying the arcane background even if you don't necessarily want to put points into developing the skill right so yeah yeah i mean depends on the race and the type of 
our uh, iconic framework, you might have some limitations, but mm -hmm. outside of that, all you have to do is buy the edge. But if people really think that should be in there, this is a playtest. You know, just send Robertson lots of comments about it and get him to put that poor guy. <laughs> so uh, did you guys do, you didn't do the automatons, but some people are saying like, how do I become one of those guys who rides around in an automaton? Because it doesn't seem to be a, a way to get one. You know, there's an edge for it, but not a way to kind of start There's an one. adventure where you... Spoil <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> Steal one, make up, make friends, you know. Um, but not start with one out of the gate. Yeah, yeah. no, you're not, no, you're not going to start with one. Yeah, the only way you can do that is if you actually are from Dreamer. Yeah, if you want to abandon the basic concept of the Tomorrow Legion as being the core of the game, instead set yourselves up a game where you're operating out of Dreamer as one of their recon patrols, then talk to your GM. Because the, 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 the iconic, the, the Mars packages for the right kind of mage out of Dweamer who runs those is in there. Yeah. So, you know, just fudge yeah. it and say, oh, you already have mm -hmm. an automaton. Yeah. You don't need precise rules for everything. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's there. You just have, it's just a little circuitous. I got you. I got you. <laughs> so we're moving through equipment. We talked about the gadgets here. Um, the plot point campaign, I mean, that's, Sean, probably your biggest chunk of stuff uh, in there. Yeah, yeah, I think personally that's the largest section that I myself wrote. That and maybe um, Ours um, Federation, uh, Federation of Mad. Well, oh, no. yeah, I did write a lot. You wrote, you wrote uh, on Dunskin and all that. Yeah, that's true, I did. Okay. We've written a lot since then. <laughs> <Yeah>. Sorry. <laughs> a lot of work since then. Well, that's research. good. I'm glad you have work. Yeah, I've researched and wrote an entire book about the Amazon. So, yeah, okay. <laughs> <clears throat> so, uh, but just on the plot point campaign, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, without giving too much away, what's kind of the elevator pitch on that? Okay, so, how to put this exactly? Um, a lot of the major villains of Rift are embedded in the setting. They're characters that are meant to be an ongoing important plot thread. Um, Sciescape, the original Palladium book Sciescape, introduces one who frankly is not meant to be an ongoing important plot thread in the form of the uh, ancient malevolent deity-like creature Nixla. And so the uh, pitch there is you get to put down a major bad guy with lots of fire. It's fun. <laughs> Sounds rifty. It's very rifty. Mm -hmm. So that's how you decided which alien intelligence to off, because there's so yes. many of them. In, in... Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's it's basically hinted at in Sciescape, the original Sciescape itself. Yeah, that he the Nixla is meant to be more of a temporary foe, something that is something you can really look at and defeat. Uh, unlike, say, you know, Archie. Or killing all the vampire intelligences or yeah. beating Prozac or anything like that. Um, so he didn't have as much plot armor. as it Yeah, was. exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there, There's explanations in the original Sciescape itself on how to kill him. Well, how to get rid of him at any rate. You don't really kill him. But how to get rid of him. And so classic Savage Worlds plot point campaigns always break the world. 
50 fathoms, you defeat the bad guys who are drowning the world at the end, and things go back to relative normal for this anime-flavored uh, pirate world. Um, Rippers, the original plot point campaign for Rippers, you beat Dracula and Jack the Ripper and all those guys. Um, the original plot point campaign for Solomon Cain, the Path of Cain, you, you fight Satan and presumably win. Uh, so this was an opportunity to do that same thing in a Rift's book, to actually have this gigantic heroic moment where you change the world. You make a gigantic discernible difference, and it's canon. And <clears throat> that's just not something you necessarily always get the opportunity to with the other types of villains. Yeah. So. And it was a little harder to do anything that world-breaking in the other books. Yes, exactly. <clears throat> Um, also, it gave the perfect opportunity to introduce something that will be a uh, plot point of books going forward. So, yeah. Yay! Mm -hmm. All right. No spoilers. <laughs> no spoilers an, item, an item involved. Okay. Oh, sorry, yeah, item, location, item, whatever. Thing. <laughs> My baby. Uh, I introduced oh, I... two things. Okay. Yeah, I like only I tried to be as humble as possible and not put a bunch of new stuff in. Mm -hmm. There are two things I introduced. There is the mysterious item that we were hinting about, and then there are the vegetable pigs, the grouper, who are avocados who walk and taste like bacon. That's all I know. <laughs> <sighs> all right. Well, hold it. I need to recover. <laughs> Just give me a second here. <laughs> I see Simon Lucas is on the chat, so uh, uh, he says he's working on Blood and Banes as he listens. Simon, in the chat, put a deadline for uh, or a, a release date <laughs> for the preview copy of Blood and Banes. Come on, Simon. <laughs> Killing us we here. We are where ocelots. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> where ocelots. You can't live without a where ocelot. Yeah. Um, yep. So for the plot point campaign, just jump me back to what uh, kind of power level do you think it is? Is that a seasoned level of kind of thing, or is it designed to start at novice and kind of grow? It really is designed to start at novice and work its way up. I mean, you might want to start at seasoned, but you, know, you don't really need to be any higher than that. Um, part of the way it's structured is borrowed largely, f well, you know, borrowed on Shane's orders from uh, Weird War Rome. And that is that you have your your plot points, but in between those, you've got a lot of space to insert adventures of the GM's own creation or one sheets or whatever. Um, I personally suggest that you run all three plot point campaigns uh, together, you know, starting with um, Souls of Darkness and then cutting away partway through to the Blood and Banes plot point campaign or the Empires of Humanity. That's the Empires point. of Humanity. Yeah, Empires of Humanity plot point campaign. Come back, then cut away to the other one. <laughs> yeah. And then come back to finish it. And just, you know, use all three books together. Three story arcs at once? Yeah. Your players are smarter than... Oh, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other two, are, I think, are a bit more discreet. And... Um, yeah. And Souls of Darkness is definitely meant to be spread out. Mm -hmm. You know, give you time to give you time to make friends and allies. Right. <laughs> I don't want to think about uh, all those possibilities. So, uh, 
that's good. I think on the plot point campaign, is there anything else on that that's, you know, like uh, any advice for GMs running it? or? or oh, uh, there is a certain member of Dunstan's inner circle who makes an appearance as a major NPC or um, as a villain that you directly fight with. You spend all of his bad extra super tough and uh, make him a memorable experience for all the players and also make sure to miss or something. Good advice. That does go to something uh, that we get a lot of questions about in the forums and uh, everywhere else is, you know, in Rift's building encounters that are challenging, that you know, players don't just walk through in, you know, one shot of the boom gun or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. When, yeah, you were put, awesome. when you were putting that together, and you guys did a lot of playtesting at cons. I think I saw some Yeah. Yep. And different things. Like, how did you do that? What's your advice for that? You know, you just have to remember to run the bad guys as intelligently as their characters, or more intelligently, since you usually can think of some of the strategies. You know, you're the game that, that leads to a little bit. Then go for it. It's your game. So, and it's you, never a bad idea just to throw out a bunch of mooks at some point, yeah, just to kind of disrupt things, mm-hmm. um, to make things work a little longer. Use cover. Cover's great. Mm-hmm. Um. Make sure that you're familiar with how the uh, bad guys' edges interact, how their powers work, so that you can take most advantage of that. Um, the push maneuver is great for pushing people off of cliffs, or throwing them out of windows, or just knocking them down, period, where they'll be more vulnerable on the ground and you can kick them. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's so um, great to have you both. I just want to say <laughs> yeah, that's something that's happened. <laughs> I yeah, I, I I use that a lot. But it's a great maneuver. Um, There's, I mean, some of the new suppressive edges. fire is awesome. Yeah, and everybody's walking around with rate of fire three weapons most of the time. So use that if you really want to make things tough on your suppressive fire. But even with some of the new options with with some of the new rules and some of the new edges, you can take the game in um, different ways. Like I, I read somebody was talking about in a campaign where they went through the combat like that, but it took forever to get there. Um, that took a while. Well, sometimes games, ha- some of these games, especially with Tomorrow Legion, are going to be not as combat heavy. Yeah. And that's the thing where you can say, oh, sorry, Glitter Boy, you can be important in other ways this time. Sometimes you have to spend the entire game session negotiating with them. <laughs> Um, and it, you know, and ultimately, this is Savage Worlds. So in the end, relatively short combats are a necessary part of how it works. It's not meant, you're not supposed to spend your entire uh, game session fighting one fight. A good Savage Worlds session, you should be able to get like two or three in. Yeah. And that's not even without, and that's not even with cheating and just using quick encounters. That's, that's oh, I'm going to tell Shane you said words. quick encounters are cheating. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, well, when it comes to combat, they are. But for other things, they're They're awesome amazing. for, like, other things. And yes, that was one absolutely. thing in, in building a lot of the Savage Tales and stuff. We were using some of those new rules, like the quick encounters and things of that nature, to help give different options in the, in the, in the adventure so the characters who aren't just big, bad, you know, uh, murder machines um, can uh, still get their day in the sun. Quick encounters are a fantastic way for everybody to get an opportunity to show off what their characters, and they are tremendous at heists and rescues, and mm-hmm. they are. You know, it, is, it is just a joy because as a game master, you just get to kind of sit back and say, "What do you do?" And then they get to get a little narrative and fun and say, "Yeah, this is my awesome hero moment," and, and it's great. 
I love them too. They're super handy, especially <laughs> in our site. We play a lot, uh, you know, by post, you know, mm -hmm. not just live. And so anything that's, that's more narrative in nature like that, like you succeeded, but tell me how is always a, a great thing to have in your toolbox. Yeah. And I know Shane wants to, wants games that are, are more narrative, more where the players have more say in things. And some of those rules like the quick encounters do that. And they're good things to put in okay. the Savage Risk games so that we're, it's just not constant combat. Yeah. No, that's, that's good advice. I think that's great. Um, the last section of the book, and I'm trying to, if you're asking questions online, I am watching and trying to work them in as we move <laughs> through here. So I Sorry, don't think I'm not. Now, you said the monsters were already kind of largely written. Yeah, the monsters are were kind of lined up. Um, there were a few things that got added in. Um, I love Sabretooth, so I made sure to put the Panther Terrier. I also did the art order for that one and said, make it Frazetta-like. Beautiful piece of art. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Alu were something that Robertson just kept fighting for. I kept saying, no, we don't need them in here. We don't have space for them. And he says, no, we've got to have them in. And yeah, they're, they're um, let's see. Oh, didn't you choose the Devil Unicorn? Uh, um, no, I think Devil Unicorn was in there. Oh, okay. Yeah. I just kind of beefed it up a little bit because I think they're fantastically weird. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the fairy folk, that was one of my choices there because we kind of need to have forest wardens. That Oh, forest wardens was funny. Forest wardens, we actually stumped Robertson. He was thinking, oh, yeah, I don't know what these are, so we don't really need these in here, do we? No, man, they're actually in the books. You know? That was the only time we beat him at that, though. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, uh, the Great Canyon Worm. I'm actually very proud of the descriptions of the Great Canyon Worm, some of the text that goes that, because I'm a totally zoology nerd and looked up a bunch of terms in order to make it as precise as possible, uh, but also um, as specifically descriptive as well. And I'm, I'm proud of that. Especially with all the different types of worms and rifts, yeah. we have to kind of find a way to <clears throat> set them apart. Johnny Quest fans might recognize the look of the Leatherwing. Yeah. Uh, plumed Serpent was, that was something that was already in there, but Plumed Serpents are so great. That was a really fun creature find. And then the, the illustration for that. Mm -hmm. um, Raksashas are a thing that I added because, mm -hmm. and the Worm Wraith illustration. Just show it's up. not going to show up, but worm wraith illustration. Oops, that's yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. bad uh, it it's great. Didn't yeah. Last yeah, and the little one sheet adventure they got released with that. Yes. Yeah. Nobody can keep their hands off the worm wraiths because they are too much fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. so just one question we had in our forums is, mm -hmm. you know, in and you might not be able to answer this. I don't know, but maybe you can get yeah. some guidance on it. Um, we'll try. In the GM's handbook for Suede, they talk about summon ally, and maybe you can give it some tweaking and some adjustment based on your setting. You know, maybe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in Rifts, you know, you got these shifters, and they can only summon these really dinky things that we find in, in Suede, but they're going up against these really yeah. not so dinky things we find in the back of Arcana and Mysticism or Savage Foes. Is there any? advice or way to kind of say if you're a shifter and you can summon a veteran uh you know or you devil unicorn you know or, or whatever you know mm -hmm. <sighs> let's see that's all you yeah i know um hmm. make that a point of 
<laughs> That's the answer. <laughs> because I know that at one point we had worked up some rules for summoning bigger, stronger, weirder things. And uh, I don't know, are they still? I don't know. Yeah, I thought they were, but I might have overlooked. But that was something that we've still got some text for lurking about somewhere. So just lean on Robertson and Lucas and say, hey, we want the. Okay. <laughs> I know Simon's listening, so Simon, these guys just threw you under the bus, and uh, we want our summoning rules uh, in that in that extra thing that keeps getting added to what was it called the field manual? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, could it, it could easily go in there? That's true. So there was a bunch of insistent asking. I thought we covered it, but let's just go through the chat a little bit here and make sure we okay. try to get to people's questions. Um, Knights of the White Rose—they're not in this book because they're in. Blood and Banes. Because right. they're linked to Madhaven, and Madhaven is such a blood. Tattoo magic, not in this book. Don't no, know when no, it's coming. Book. Yeah, no, that would be attached to the um, True Atlanteans, and yeah. that would presumably be in the next section of book, right. if that happens. Yes. Assuming that, you know, Robertson sticks to what we did originally, which he's under no obligation to do. It's from, a, from a design perspective, I'd love to chat with you guys about, like, how the heck would you do to, to magic control. Yeah, uh, that is a challenging one. I, I admit, I'm kind of glad I didn't have to figure it out. <laughs> I'm personally taking a bunch of kicks of the can, and I'm no professional by any stretch of the imagination, but I just can't make it work. It's tough. Not, not to satisfy people like Patrick out there on our forums who needed to function exactly like it functioned, you know, in the old way too. So. Yeah, I'm talking to you, Patrick. Um, <laughs> Jumping back to the uh, the Techno Wizard armors, you know, and power armors, and how they mm -hmm. borrow from the uh, and I don't know, this might be too minutia mechanically. Like, is that spellcasting die in the armor really there when, with most Techno Wizardry, you can just use Spirit to activate it? Like, what does it do differently, or why is it different, or why is it better than the ways we already have to use well, our devices? To be honest, to be honest it was partially. Uh, trying to bring things more into line with uh, the suede ethos of attributes are reactive and skills are active. Yeah. So it makes sense to me that it would have its own. And again, you know, this is for people who aren't necessarily techno wizards can use armors too. It's a typical part. The R's no defense core. Mm -hmm. Tons of people who are not necessarily mad with themselves who still use the magic inherent in these devices. And for that, it makes more sense for it to have a, a spellcasting die of its own. Rather than use spirit, which is always yeah. an option. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you want a house ruler. Oh, no, man. I'm against house ruler. <laughs> <laughs> Raw all the way. So you put in the Psy uh, Nega Psychic, mm -hmm. but not necessarily the Psy Nullifier. Was there a... I thought the Nega Psychic was just more fun. Ultimately, that's what it boils down to, is that the Psy Nullifier didn't... Uh, it, they were very similar. They are very similar. Um, they're very similar, and of the two, the Nega Psychic was just more amusing. <laughs> I didn't have space for both of them. I, it, honestly, God, it just comes down to it was Nega Scott. <laughs> that's fair. They are kind of a, a, a intractable that way. Um, but the Nullifier could be easily duplicated using that as yeah, a, as a basis. Mm -hmm. Exactly. exactly. I, mean, I would still hope that people take all the new stuff they're getting and don't stop creating the new, the fan versions of things. Uh, I mean, yeah, obviously you can't pop, publish them swag or not, but 
keep being creative. That's the most fun part of games period is creating stuff, creating stories or creating rules. And that's, you know, some of the choices that were made in the books, we were thinking about, well, okay, this could be used if someone yeah. changed it a little bit, could be used for something else. Mm -hmm. So we were looking at things like life and psychic yeah, that would take be some like of those good... abilities and tweak them for other things. Mm -hmm. uh, years ago, yeah, before we got the gig, Actually, kind of as a not-so-subtle audition for the gig, I created a Power Ranger-type um, iconic framework, Wine and Savage's blog, that heavily borrowed from the Cyber Knight. You know, so we use those mechanics. Use them to make the things that you want. Right. And that's okay. Like, that sometimes, and I don't know if we inherit this as old-school <laughs> Rifts players or, or if that's just some people are, are wired that way or something, but, like... Mm -hmm. The idea like that the GM can just kind of fudge that to make that work or to just change that or something like that is, is really, uh, I don't know, it gives some people tremors. And um, I guess I could get that. Yeah, I mean, coming from the Savage point of view, that's, that's what you do with Savage Worlds. Mm -hmm. That's what it's meant to do. Yeah. And I wouldn't say that creating new iconic frameworks, but there's enough tools in the existing iconic frameworks or will be by the time we're done with the vampire where uh where cats and things like that in blood and veins and everything that's coming up for uh, empires, of humanity. empires of humanity yeah um that you can figure out kind of what the number value is of a certain in um inheritability or that sort of thing and mix and match oh guys robertson's on the chat yeah. <laughs> and now he's answering mechanics questions. Oh, well, that's good. You guys that's are toast good. now. Yeah. <laughs> no, no one cares. He said he's going to put something in there about some. Oh, good. Fantastic. Somebody uh, asked, Patrick asked the question I already asked, can we have an Ars No background edge that lets people use techno wizardry? You said, yeah, go for it. <laughs> and uh, I think I'm getting uh, through most of the stuff here. Uh, there's some stuff that I'm just not going to because I know we either answered it on the last AMA or it's not really in your guys' uh, okay. wheel, wheelhouse. So forgive me for being a bit editorial. Were you involved on the Cactus People at all? Yeah, that's mm -hmm. true. So, you know, we got a lot of questions about like, well, how does their mind link work and what's the different than the mind link? powers and it's a, well i mean yeah technically they can but we want the you want you don't want to have a player character who's totally isolated from their it's kind of a line of sight thing so you can communicate communicate with everybody else at the table okay good so we're coming <laughs> up on it i mean i'm fine with that i mean there are other questions like ticky tech stuff like well what if they have the power versus you know the yeah their innate ability and how does that all work there's kind of questions and sean if you're listening you know questions on innate abilities and how they interact with the other things and mm -hmm. are they trappings or whatever, but I know that's more. If Robertson needs any advice on this, then when you've got um, multiple um, basic amounts in a skill or something like that, mm -hmm. uh, due to inheriting it from both a race and an iconic framework, I suggest following Freedom Squadron model and giving the character a die eight instead of a die six. Yeah, that comes up a lot too. Like you got a race, you make a quick flex side slinger and they basically have all the same edges, you know, out of mm -hmm. the gate, you know, what do you do then? And so I think just guidance on that kind of stuff will help people a lot. Maybe. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you don't want it to be hard and fast either. No. Sean appreciates your ideas. <laughs> um, 
this is a, I don't know, did you guys have uh, involvement, like just the spirit bow and the spirit spear, these magic items, and maybe magic items in general, there's some rules for creating them. Is that newer or is that stuff you were involved in? Uh, that's uh, partially developed out of stuff that had been there from the earliest drafts, yes. So it has passed through my hands, uh, but I trust we will find the better with Swade. Yeah. Sean, please take them off the Techno Wizard weapons table so people <laughs> will stop asking if they're magic or Techno Wizard and kind of technical <laughs> difficulties apply. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> Simon, what are we getting? Blood and Banes again? Uh, just make sure everyone's still listening. <laughs> I had another question, but I was busy trolling and I forgot all about it. Um, <laughs> shoot. It's hard to remember things when you're talking to them. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are a lot of fun. I am so glad that you're here. Um, any more uh, questions from the chat uh, while we're doing that? Uh, thanks again, guys, for, for coming on. It's been so much fun to have you here. What do yeah. you think, you know, if people are digging into Arcana and mysticism, you're like, you know, don't miss this, or uh, I know it's all great, but. I want them to find my dumb joke. I don't want to point people towards because they won't necessarily find them. Uh, so Easter egg jokes, they're in there? Yeah, Easter egg. There's mm -hmm. a few. Uh, can't help it. Um, oh, I remember my question. Okay, cool. Can I interrupt? Dragon Juicer, WTF. It seems like <laughs> it's it's so much more powerful or, or, or buff than even a juicer, which is already kind of powerful and buff. Are we missing something there? Is, you know... It's the free dragon blood infusion you get from your Tomorrow Legion, uh, enough of a hindrance, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Or maybe you guys were involved in it, and I should shut the heck up. Well, that was in the original draft. Yes, it was in the original draft. There has been there have been many eyes on it since then. There were many eyes beforehand, too. Yeah, that went beforehand. through a lot of work before it even got in depth. Yeah. That much we do know. Mm -hmm. um, I think with the Dragon Juicer, it's also one of those things where you have to play up the hindrances and you know the dependency on the dragon blood is you know, its own thing more important is the way that dragon associated people and in the magic zone there's a good chance of that yeah so yeah those social hindrances really need to be played up more right eh? like they're there there are the complications on a lot of ifs and People will say, but the published adventures even ignore them because the coalition troops in Garnet Town don't shoot right away or something. So uh, <laughs> I guess you have to find other ways to make those complicated. And, and to a certain degree, you kind of have to write adventures in the most generic way possible. And part of the game master's job is to read it and then interpret it in, from the point of view of their players, and create the complications that should be that can't be anticipated for your specific group of players. So, yeah. No, I think it's all good. I just wanted to ask it. I, I mean, yeah, no, no. I yeah, don't have yeah, uh, go for it, man. super opinions one way or the other. Um, maybe a little sneak peek. What's on the cutting room floor? What IFs or Mars packages were like on the fence and then you guys were like, we hate them. Or, you know, or we really want them in there, but they uh, they just can't make it or whatever. I, I think actually it's much more a matter of things that kept coming back to life, honestly. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't think it's a gigantic spoiler. I don't think it really says anything bad about it. Robertson and I have a disagreement. The need for Rift's Dwarfs or Rift's Elves, I think just using the base ones from Savage Worlds is fine. But he wanted to make sure that the Rift's versions of them, once presented in Arcane Mysticism, were in there. And that's, that's cool, you know, because they are different. 
so that works there. That's something that came back to life. Um, and yeah, friendly disagreement on that. Uh, aesthetics, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Um, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I don't think there was a lot that got cut because most of the time, because if we found ourselves in a position where we needed to save some space, well, those player facing options are the most important part of the book. So we would cut from other sections. We would cut from other sections instead, you know, trim a few words from the Federation of Math, cutting out every use of the word bat, things of that nature. Slim it down, you know, journalistic prose. Yep. In order to make sure that all the player options were there and available. Oh, no, I did think of one thing that got cut and it might come back. Um, the forearm giants. Uh, in the book i did have an edge originally in there to that's kind of that was kind of riffing off of uh, the dog boy racial breed edges to allow them to take um this edge in order to get an increase in order to increase their strength attribute more than once per rank so you could get the characters up to like super mega strength pretty easily on especially if say for instance you uh took the rogue scholar as your mars packet then you could create a four-armed giant uh that uh, was really dangerous right off the bat (laughs) and where does that name come from you know you couldn't (laughs) use the original name for whatever reason yeah. yeah, no, that's a total surprise. Ask Robertson about that. Yeah, Robertson knows the official <laughs> on that. But uh, we, it we is... did not know that there was any issue with that until after we left the book. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, well, well, that's surprising. I'm glad you kept the race, the race in there in, a, in some kind of form. Yeah. yeah. Kind of surprised that you know, it was something to do, it, you know, some sort of licensing thing due to them first appearing in um, Palladium Fantasy rather than in Riff. Right. Um, I lost my spot. In Rifts, there's a lot of races that are like have these, they're almost iconic frameworks themselves. You know, you get the yeah. dragon or something, but then you've got something like the Psy Ghost or, you know, some others that are, you know, I don't know, Palladium would call them maybe RCCs or something like that. Like they just have yeah. a lot of, uh, how do you work in those kind of things or deal with those kind of mutant type things that can, they're not necessarily magic or psionic, but they can turn invisible or turn into a ghost mm-hmm. or. Well, uh, the side ghosts especially uh, underwent a, a kind of radical change because they were originally going to be a Mars packer. And then I was rereading through things and realized, wait a second, these aren't, this isn't a skill you can pick up. These are a group of mutants, mutant humans who have this unique racial ability to do that. And so I had to then translate what had been a Mars package into being a race instead. And, but they were too interesting to leave out because it's, it's a really fun thing to be that ultimate stealthy guy, you know, to yeah. play solid. So kind of had... <laughs> well, I agree. I think there's a, some huge Psygos fans on our site who, uh, mm-hmm. you know, always want to talk about that and nothing else. <clears throat> Though, if you're going to create a Psyghost, you might want to wait until Empires of Humanity is out and then mix the Psyghost race with some of those military-themed commando-style... Mars, Mars packages. All right, Simon. Another due date. <laughs> okay, so I think we've covered a lot. We've covered mostly what's in the chat. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to say thank you to Simon and to Jody and to Sean uh, Robertson for jumping on the chat, too. I mean, it's three times as interactive as having you guys here. This is fantastic. <laughs> I mean, just 
everybody's around it's and so available i really love that maybe robin if you want to take a minute sell us on blood and veins and if we're really lucky you'll come back and spend some time talking through us when you can really talk about it but like what's what's in there that you know we're just going to be so excited about well i mean it's finding all the really awful sort of things bad guys in north america and pulling those out. I mean, there's a lot of focus on vampires because I know a lot of people want those vampires. Um, but kind of to think about, well, where are some of these places, the places or, or monsters that were just the most problematic and can do the most with. So um, we're, it, the book goes all over North America, um, of course, Central America, North America slash Central America with the vampires. But if there's a, a nasty sort of thing or just a really dangerous kind of bad situation um, in North America, it's probably in Bud. It was fun playing with bad guys. It is the, all the freakiest stuff. <laughs> and a plot point campaign to go with it. Yep. yep. And how did you decide which ones uh, alien intelligences were expendable in that? Uh... Well, and that's a, that's assuming that you can fight your way all the way to a vampire intelligence. intelligence. Um, the plot point <laughs> campaign does not go that far. Because um, you far. Yeah. yeah. You, you're, if you have some help after doing the uh, Arcana Mysticism plot point campaign, maybe a little bit easier. <laughs> uh <laughs> But um, the, the big goal with that one was to at least give some kind of important information that would help the Tomorrow Legion stop the vampire menace as they move forward with. It. So it was kind of leaking out information, which, you know, big Rifts fans are going to love vampires, know that information, but want to make sure. Oh, that's great. I'm so excited about that one. Hopefully you'll come back and talk to us about it again, even though I don't even have a real show. I just... <laughs> yeah. a nerd who wants to talk to people about nerdy things um, that's cool no that's good we both did a lot of work on i mean it's her baby but we both did a lot yeah of work there. Like that's I usually did. how babies go yes yeah exactly. <laughs> one of us does the most work yeah <laughs> but the, other said that too, yeah. 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 the other one's driving out to pick up pickles at 3 a.m though yeah. yes yeah. <laughs> We all have our part to play. <laughs> so, it's our little one. What's it like to be a husband and wife team? My wife thinks that gaming is bizarre. Uh, other people, there, there's significant others are in it uh, and love it too, you know. But you guys not only get to maybe play role playing games together, but to write them together and create them. You know, sometimes is it like too much at the breakfast table or, you know? Well, I guess when things get really complex and complicated and we just sometimes it's like one of us has to go, no, we just have to step away. So that's been at least the one thing. It's like, no, no more of that. We need to go and do something else. Mm -hmm. But but he, uh, the secret of this is that she's been a gay man from older editions. Than yeah, my I've been playing playing since I was 10. Oh, wow. So my older brother um, gave me his his D and D boxes um, when he got a, a, a D and D, and quickly showed me how to to be a dungeon master. And there it went. Yeah. So she, you've been playing since Red Box, um, mm -hmm. you know, original. Well, you know. Yeah, original Red and Blue Box. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't start until I was sixteen. I'm two years and two days older than her. So she's got a four year lead on me, and I started with AD and D Second Edition. 
<clears throat> sitting around with a bunch of my teenaged friends because we didn't have girlfriends anymore. <laughs> but for me, at least once I got like into high school and college, um, in our group, it tended to be that if you were a female gamer, you probably were dating. It was just kind of how it worked out. And we got into this semi-professional through me starting the blog and inviting her to start a blog with me, a wine blog instead. And so we had several years there where we were each revving up our writing again. Yeah. You know, after a long lull after college. And um, so we had time to grow things independently before we started working together again. Mm -hmm. That gave us time to get egos to check. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I do have an MFA in creative writing. So that's an, an advantage is knowing how workshops run. And I was at a school that was very supportive in workshops and it was about building people's work. So I kind of brought that into this and that kind of helps yeah. without one of us getting mad at you. Learning how to do criticism and helping. Besides, no one can ever check, find all their mistakes and it's good to have yeah. a second pair of eyes. Yes, absolutely. And if that second pair of eyes is sitting right next to you so you can get immediate feedback, that's yeah. really Oh, that's great, man. The two English majors just... <laughs> yep. Wow. I don't know if I could handle it. Um, <laughs> I could definitely use one. Oh, somebody quickly asked in Blood and Banes, is there a Maelstrom mate? No. But. But start pitching that right now. I may be representing. <laughs> Robert said they're throwing the work on you, too. You and Simon Lucas are. You hit me tonight. <laughs> No, um, I, I think we can talk about what's going to come up in Blood and Bane. We've already talked about, about some of it a lot yeah, before, then, anyway. Yeah, so. so Night of the White Rose, um, The Ethical Necromancer, uh, which is my baby, I'm proud of it, and has the best art in Rifts, period. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big claim for my actions <laughs> from the old stuff, man. Um, I have my opinions okay, on art. Okay, it's not better than any of the Keith Parkinson, the greatest uh, character ever um vampire the vampire so because yeah, we knew people would want to play a vampire after years of so many of us playing in the storyteller system of course someone's going to want to play a vampire yeah so and 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 it's canon yeah it's canon yeah, again it's canon yeah mm -hmm. uh good guy necromancers and good guy vampires are canon they're part of the original books there uh cats Werecats. Werecats were a huge development job. And I that suppose we through, should save that story. Yeah, we'll save that story. But yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of work and a lot of different changes on that back one. and forth on. Um, barbarians. Mutant uh, barbarians, Yeah, too. mutant barbarians. That's uh, rich. You have to have mutant barbarians. Yeah. yeah. Eco-wizards. I know people have, some people have been asking. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was asking about those like crazy eco-wizards. Yeah. Good. Eco-wizards. Yeah. Um, Vampire hunters. Vampire hunters. Yeah. Um, shoot. Can't remember. <laughs> a bunch of cool professional edges yeah yeah that was one thing with with blood and bangs there's a lot of professional edges. so you can have the squire of the knights of the white and you can be a squire that telepathic link in your knight um, races include the centaurs which are also there's oh, yeah. there's information there on how to make them a cyber centaur yeah both cyber centaurs and normal centaurs, centaurs. uh sasquatch sasquatch because we were like gotta have another you know something weird oh well they're part of canon, so why not? Yeah. Sasquatch. What's the other? Yeah. Well, that's fine. They'll give us more stuff to talk about next time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you guys are willing to come and talk, when we can talk yeah. more and see what's in there, then be yeah. with them. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Oh, 
Somebody's asking if you'll read through the table of contents for Blood and Beans. But you can't <laughs> Let's let them prepare Get the uh, playtest document first. Yeah, it's it's, it's closing <laughs> in. I from what I can see, but I don't want to step on any toes. There. Yeah, are we going to see Momano hunters in Blood and Banes, or is that more these techno wizard headhunters? You know, TWs or cybernetic? Oh, they're no. in, they're an empire. Sean answered on the chat. Okay, oh, they, that's why yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was, it was interesting trying to figure out what was going to go in what book in some areas. Because like with Blood and Banes and Arcane Mysticism, there's overlap, uh, especially with like iconic frameworks. But Empires of Humanity and Blood and Banes, it's Mars packages. We got to be careful. Not Dinosaur Hunter. Yep. Dinosaur yeah. Hunter. That's Dinosaur it. Hunter. It's one of the Mars packages. There's a Mars package. Are there dinosaurs in Blood and Banes? Yes, there are. Yes, there are. Dinosaur like... Swamp is in Blood and Banes. Mm -hmm. And you said it was like some kind of template or something, right? So you could... Like for types of dinosaurs or yeah, uh, basically in order to keep the stats as simplified as possible, we made kind of this slight break with traditional ways of handling it in Savage Worlds, and so you've got dinosaur kind of template stats. So you've got uh, large carnivorous dinosaurs, then you've got uh, small carnivorous dinosaurs. You know, raptors, your dinosaur. Um, and then the armored herbivores, and then you get your sauropods and um, the flight. Yeah. Flying um Rep, yeah. flying reptiles and aquatic reptiles. And so each one has kind of base stats because you know for the most part you're gonna see a similarity in size and abilities. Um Allosaurus and Tyrannosaurus Rex are a lot of they are in a lot of ways alike, despite the with so yeah, the, it's in groups. Yeah. Both the Mosasaur and the Lasmosaur are aquatic reptiles just one of them has a gigantic bite and so you've got a note there that says this one has uh two die eight bite or whatever it was yeah, yeah. oh man so exciting <laughs> yeah because not all the monsters are specific well not all the creatures are entirely evil monsters but if you've got a pack of sauropods you gotta watch out oh and so many good yeah ghosts <laughs> <laughs> All those different haunting entities and ghosts. Yeah. And these mm -hmm. yes. Tec tectonic entities. Uh, yes, yes, that's mm -hmm. Robertson. He did. He did the majority of the ghosts. Yes. Yeah. One of those things he was very passionate about. Yeah. Uh, but they're they're a cool thing to have. They're. Mm -hmm. I mean, it makes Manhaven right. such a. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there was always something in there, but he's like, no, let's break it down more. Mm -hmm. Expanded a bit, and that gives everybody a lot more to. Play. Yeah. Because the ghosts are in some ways more different than. That's true. Yeah. Possessing entity? I believe so, yes. What? Possessing. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. I mean they have a lot of them have like pup well, yeah. The puppet mm -hmm. power. So I know, but it's just nice to have. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think us palladium fans are somewhat completist in our uh, Yeah, I get that. That's definitely under yeah. That's why it was hard going, okay, but gotta leave this is what's gotta go in, but we, this, you know, Blood and Banes was harder about figuring out what goes in and what go, what doesn't go in. And we want to keep you buying books for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, that is also the blade. Right? Yeah. All right. So, uh, Sean, you told me, uh, and if maybe when we were just doing some Facebook back and forth on this, there were some funny stories or some good stories about how the plot point campaign came together. So maybe close us out with uh, a good story. We kind of covered that. Okay. But to to be more precise about it, so um, Jason Richards had created this, had written this great 
chapter on SciScape that unfortunately kind of went outside of the Savage Worlds parameters, but I wanted to keep as much of it as I could. So I was looking around, trying to figure out uh, the plot point campaign because it was important to all of us that each of the books this time have a real plot point campaign, something to give direct play value in addition to all the character, in addition to all the player facing options. Um, and looking at that, looking at the SciScape book, realized that Nixla made a perfect foil for a plot point campaign, being a really dangerous opponent that at the same time seems... Thanks. <laughs> seems kind of intended to be somebody that the players defeat, um, which then led into trying to spin things off as much as possible, giving space for Jason's cool ideas, and fitting in things of my own. It and became stealing a, my one sheet. Yeah, stealing Robin's one sheet. So like the first oh, act, plagiarism <laughs> in your own home. The first act. Well, I asked your permission. Yeah, he she asked my permission. It wasn't quite plagiarism. It's like, so, hey, I would like to use this. And I went, okay. Yeah. So the first act is uh, That's slightly not really exciting. Is it exciting? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, first act is slightly rewritten from what she had created. Uh, second act in, um, brings in a lot of what uh, Jason had written. Um, and then it was an opportunity to just try to create really unique, fun scenarios. There's a, an act that is really predicated on creation. And I'm not sure that it's necessarily going to go well for the players on every group. But that's fun. Complications are fun. Um, there's a heist. I'm a huge fan of heist movies and specifically franchise Lupin the Third. So I got to create a heist scenario for that um, involving my favorite bad guy, all of Ritz, for that matter. Because what's the point of having these awesome bad guys working in the background if you never actually find yourself in conflict with them? Oh, it's so true. Yeah. 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 You don't want to save your. You don't want to be precious with your NPCs. No, you want them up front where you can actually fight them um, and sometimes maybe narrowly escape. But that's a story to tell. Uh, who wants to run a Star Wars campaign and never encounter? Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it was a challenge to like try to work in each cool thing that's inside of Savage Worlds, each subsystem. So it ends with a mass battle. It's not really a, a, a spoiler to say that. You've got a mass battle coming. It'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you go and make friends. Um, and you're Tomorrow Legion. Yeah. Go make friends. Yeah. Go make friends. <clears throat> yeah, it seems to be a big theme. It's like, um, you know, how does the Tomorrow Legion stay in business where it's jammed in between the Federation and the Coalition? Yeah. And then they need to make friends and they need to yeah. be able to... Mm -hmm do some things and then get some things so that they can, you know, that's not be why, swallowed up. Yeah. That's exactly. why all the chapters generally end with, mm -hmm. here's the, here's the Tomorrow Legion in those areas. And, and that came from original ideas uh, from the first draft. Yeah. So we just, so uh, we've got uh, an act of, of souls of darkness that's uh, based around social conflict. And another one that's based around quick encounters and, another one, and a chase. There's a chase in there too. So, it was just a, a joy, and thankfully, everybody has said so far that they hopefully players like to curse me. So. <laughs> the sign of success as a GM. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
Well, great. Thank you guys so much for coming and, uh, and speaking with us tonight. We're coming up right on an hour and a half, which I think is a good length for something like yeah, this. Yeah, probably. That's probably, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you want to talk geek all night, I guess, but for, for me, it's going on midnight. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Yeah, Friday is one of my days off. So, and yeah, I'm you still on just tell me to shut up. Vacation, so to speak. <laughs> I'm just tired. I was golfing all afternoon. Um, so that's it for me. From me, I want to thank you again so much for coming. Um, I want people to check out. Is it a good place to go just to send people to your blog and, uh, uh, you know, to see, you know, some of the stuff that Sean, you have on swag and different things like that? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I have uh, several rifts compatible, but maybe slightly tongue in cheek options available on swag. Mm -hmm. um, the morph transfer bots, which are robots that change into other things, or actually, in the specific case, they're vehicles that change into robots. Kind of thing. I forgot that's what that are the things. Yeah, but they are actually Rifts compatible, with some notes on how you would uh, convert them over there. And then the Key Warrior, which is deeply inspired by the uh, video game and anime franchise Sengoku Basara, which is a the first two seasons and movie of the animator just fantastic. Uh, and then there's your pretty opponent, a, which you can um, buy to annoy your game master. No one buy that. Okay. <laughs> or you can just wait till Blood and Banes and kind of do a version of it. <laughs> oh, snap. <laughs> All right. Well, so we, I plugged it. I put your um, blog in link down below there so people will be able to see it. Yeah, I haven't we haven't updated the blog in a long time because we've been too busy as freelancers, but there's years worth of stuff, of stuff that maybe needs to be brought up to straight compatibility, but hopefully you'll find inspiration. This has been Radio Free Murktown, a WMRK production. Contact us at RadioFreeMurktown at gmail.com and support Radio Free Murktown on Patreon for as little as $2 per month. Visit us on the web at ExplorersUnlimited.com for more information.